Hello, everybody, and welcome to Kissing the Cod, All Things Gold. Uh, we are joined today by a very accomplished geologist, Roger Moss, who I'll introduce momentarily. Uh, the gold sector exploration business is often a very tough world, and it's driven by uh, some very intelligent and fiercely independent, unique characters. Uh, many of, of them travel around the world and make discoveries of uh, gold and other minerals that are very important in our daily lives. Uh, Roger Moss is one of those people. Uh, Roger is the CEO, president and director and, and many other uh, duties uh, at Labrador Gold, LAB on the TSX. And uh, he's joining us today to tell us about his himself and his company and what they're doing in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, welcome, Roger. It's great to see you. Thanks so much. It's great, uh, it's great to be here and, and thank you for the invitation. Looking forward to it. As you mentioned, I am, I am a geologist uh, by training. I've been, uh, I've been working in the industry for uh, probably 30, oh boy, 30, 35 years or more. And um, I was actually brought up in South Wales in the, in the coal mining areas. So my grandfather was a coal miner. And uh, so I was exposed to mining at, in a, at an early age and realized how, how important mining is to, to economies. Um, my parents moved to South Africa when I was 13. And uh, of course I went with them. And so I went from one mining country to another. And of course in, in South Africa has a wealth of different minerals. Um, but they're, they, they were, and, and I think still are to some extent, known for their gold in the Witwatersrand Basin, um, but also platinum, lots of coal, which is, uh, which is where we moved to the coal fields um, because that was, that was the Welsh background. But um, so yeah, I've been involved or at least exposed to mining um, for my whole life. And when it was time to decide what I was gonna do, um, I really didn't have any, any intention of sailing down and sitting in an office all day. And when I found out that geologists can actually go out in the woods and wander around looking for rocks, that was, that was what I decided I wanted to do. And I had to, of course, I had to get to university. And um, I remember having a conversation with my parents. I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a geologist and I need to go to university, is that okay? And they said, well, yeah, that's fine, but um, how are you going to pay for it? <laughs> I just looked at them and said, uh, isn't that your job? <laughs> and they said, well, no, if you want to go to university, you're going to have to pay for it. So I was, um, I was kind of lazy at, at school, high school, and uh, my, my marks weren't that great. But I, I realized that one way of getting into university was to get in, in South Africa, they call them bursaries. They're kind of like scholarships, but you have to actually work for the company um, during the summers and after, after you graduate for a certain amount of time. And so I actually pulled up my socks in my final year of high school, managed to get a bursary, went to the University of Atlantis-Rand studying geology. And um, the bursary was from Anglo-American. So I worked for Anglo-American in my, in my summers summer vacations and um, ended up working in Namibia 
for the for the prospecting arm, Anglo-American Prospecting Services. And during the two years that I was working there, we actually found the Navashap gold mine, which was a huge, uh, which was huge. Uh, the, the team that I was managing were kind of that we, we discovered the discovery outcrop. So that was really exciting. And things changed overnight. And it was my first taste of success, I guess. I'd always loved being out in the woods and, and or in this case, the desert <laughs> and, uh, and looking at rocks. But to, to see the change when a discovery is made, um, going from having to fight for every penny to, to keep on working to basically, what do you need? We'll get it there tomorrow. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was quite a change. And I think that um, that was a good start. That was a good start to my career. And then um, I, I came to Canada because the, uh, mainly because the South African Defense Force wanted me to go fight. Um, and it was still apartheid and I didn't want to do that. So I left, um, came to Canada, started working here sort of at, at the bottom again, because I, uh, that was in 19, when was that? 1989. So I, the industry was in one of the downturns at that point. So I took what work I could get and managed to work my way up again. And, and yes, I did went to U of T, did a master's and a PhD. Now it's it's interesting because the, both of those degrees were on seafloor sulfide deposits, so it had nothing to do with gold mineralization or porphyry coppers. Right? It was all about hot springs, black smokers, and that kind of stuff. But it was it was just so fascinating that uh, that I could not do it. And my supervisor at the time, uh, the late Steve Scott. Um, was one of the big uh, big Canadian names in seafloor exploration and um, basically promised me a, a dive in a submersible if I signed up. And um, sure enough, he, he came through for me and I managed to go down and see these things firsthand on a, on a Japanese submersible during my PhD. So I, it, was, it, was, it was great. And then going back to exploration after I graduated, I worked mostly in, in Central South America um, for gold, but also for some of the big porphyries. We had a project in Chile looking at porphyry, porphyry carp and molybdenum. I moved to Colombia for, for a while, running a company there that had a, um, a porphyry gold deposit, which is on the verge of going into production now. And um, Labrador Gold was, really came about in 2017 when we'd, we'd been working on a project in, in Ontario that hadn't, that hadn't worked out. So we were looking for another project and uh, the people, one of the funds that were, were financing us at that time introduced me to Sean Ryan, who many of your listeners will know, uh, very uh, famous, famous prospector from the Yukon. And he had just staked a whole bunch of ground up in Labrador. And so, uh, so that's when we got involved in, in Newfoundland and Labrador with, with Sean up there. And um, that was, as I said, 2017. And since then, my focus has been, uh, has been on Labrador Gold. Wonderful. Um, I um, just listening to your story, thinking about how parents shape our lives uh, inadvertently by not uh, financing your your university education 
uh, you've ended up all around the world, probably doing a lot more uh, interesting and diverse things. I, I had the same situation, parents that wouldn't pay for my university degree and with my huge student loan decided to move to the north of Canada and uh, you know the world opened up, but um, really curious about what it's like on a submersible. <laughs> well, you know what? It's um, fortunate I'm not claustrophobic. It's um, the the area that you're in. We we had uh, the way they worked it on the Japanese ship was uh, you had a pilot and a co-pilot and a scientist. So I was I was the scientist on the one dive and had the two Japanese uh, pilot, co-pilot. And um, we were in like a little bubble in the front of the submersible, probably, I'm guessing, two meters in diameter. So three of us crammed in there for eight hours. Um, and the really freaky thing is, and I, I wasn't the first one to go down, so I knew, I knew the procedure, having seen the other scientists go down every day. Um, the, the submersible gets hoisted off the ship and put into the water, and then it's left floating. And uh, so it's not, it, it's not tethered to the ship at all. And the way that the submersible dives is um, it doesn't actually dive down, um, you know, under, under engines. They basically fill up the ballast tanks, and so it sinks. <laughs> so you're thinking... I hope those pumps are going to be able to pump out the water in those ballast tanks so we can get back up. And but it was fascinating. Like it, you, you go through and, and once you're through the photic zone, which is oh, I, I don't know, it's probably only about 100 meters. Um, it's completely dark and there's nothing they all they have are the like tiny little dashboard lights because they want to save as much of the battery power as they can for when we're down on the bottom. So it's completely dark for probably about an hour as you're sinking into the depths. And uh, we ended up down at about, at about uh, 1.7 kilometers, just over a mile, a mile deep. Wow. wow. But it's, it's really comfortable. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's temperature controlled. It does get a little bit chilly at the bottom. Um, but I was, you, you go in dressed normally, but you don't have, a, have to have any special gear in there. And um, so as long as you're dressed, you dress warmly, you're, you're, you're fine. Hmm. And they have like that you can pee in, in case. You know. <laughs> well, you're, you're, very, you're very fortunate. You've had an interesting career that's led you to uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, so uh, you're in Labrador, you meet up with Sean Ryan, and um, things start to change in the, in the jurisdiction. You've made some uh, great progress. So maybe tell us a little bit about what Lab Gold's history is and where you are now. Yeah, so I think um, you know meeting up with Sean was obviously a great. Uh, it's one. Of, it's one of those fortuitous things that happens um, if, if you're sort of in the right place at the right time, I suppose. And um, when I met Sean the first time, I, I had no idea what to expect. I'd heard of him, but but only on the periphery. And um, we met, I think he was in Toronto, and we wanted to meet up and discuss his, his, his Labrador properties, which we did. Um, and I suggested we meet at, on Saturday morning at nine o'clock because he had something going on in the afternoon. And I, was, I wanted to get off to the cottage that weekend. So I said, okay, I've got about an hour. So um, you know, why don't we meet for breakfast at nine and then we can, we can chat about stuff. And, 
So we, we did that, met at nine. I didn't walk out of there till 1230. <laughs> and we talked the whole time and drank lots of coffee, but um, yeah, I mean, we just we just hit it off right away. We we I think we had we're we're about the same age when we came up in the in the mineral exploration industry, uh, sort of on parallel courses, I guess. And we we both believed in doing things what you might call the old way, um, and uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the success that I have had has come from just doing systematic exploration and before kind of rushing ahead, not, not getting too far ahead of yourself. And um, that's what we did. We did that up in, uh, up in Labrador on the properties that we optioned from Sean. And we've had success on two of them. We still have one um, up there, Hopedale, and uh, we'll be going back up there again this year. And, you know, that was, that was really good because we, we managed to raise some money. We got, we got a, lot of, um, a lot of work done covering large areas. And as you and, and listeners to the podcast may know, Sean, Sean doesn't stake little bits of ground. He stakes, uh, he stakes big swaths of land. And um, the Hopedale project that we have covers, I would think, 80% of an entire Greenstone Belt. So. Um, it's it, it's very looks very good. It's good for obviously you know your orogenic gold. There's potential there for nickel. There's potential there for VMS copper lead zinc type uh, mineralization. Um, it's gold that we've been focused on, and um, it's it's going it's going well. But again, you know, once you've been up there for a, for a couple of years and you're not drilling yet, people get a little a little antsy and want want more want more out of the company. So that's sort of, um, that was about 20, end of 2019, we started looking for another project and, and that, that's ultimately how we came to come to the island. Yeah, you know, and you and I have talked about this before, the, the challenges of grassroots exploration and the, um, how you move a project forward when you've really got to do a lot of things that maybe are not that exciting to the investors. But it's, it's so important to do the soil sampling and, and that other activities that lead you to the potential for discovery. So, you know, and how do you manage that, you know, continuing to push on the grassroots while keeping something exciting more exciting or advanced for the for the investors well i think for our for for labrador gold right now where we're at now um we're very fortunate in our kingsway project here on the island that um we we are drilling and we have been drilling for over a year now um on our targets and, we, and we've we've had some success so that's that's really, um, you know, that's really helped us. So what it also allows us to do is to bring projects like Hopedale along in the background where we're doing the necessary work, the geophysics, the geochemistry, and the mapping that, that really doesn't excite anybody to go out and buy a whole bunch of shares unless they're, unless they're very sophisticated and, and understand the need for doing that and, and have the patience to wait. Um, so yeah, I think, we're, we're fortunate that we can, we can actually drill down here on the island at Kingsway 
while bringing other projects along in the background where they're, you know, they're, they're not so sexy work is being done. So that's, it's, uh, uh, if, if, if you have the opportunity to do that, that's probably the best way to do it. And you have a nice healthy treasury um, and with some great investors, Eric Sprott and Newfound Gold. Your Kingsway project uh, is in the vicinity of the Newfound Gold's Queensway. So um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you made the discoveries there. I, I, you've got a great treasury, great shareholders. Um, what's, what's the story behind the Kingsway project? Well, uh... Like I said, we were we were looking for a new project towards the end of 2019 because um, we we realized that we weren't getting any value for the, the projects we had in Labrador, and um, our treasury was actually dim diminishing, and we were going to need to raise some money, and we didn't really feel like uh, we were going to have much success trying to raise it on the projects that we had in Labrador. Um, so we we've been looking around and and kicking some tires on different projects. And then uh, what happened in, in 20, January of 2020 was Newfound Gold announced their discovery at, uh, at Queensway and at the Keats, the Keats zone. Um, incredible intersection, uh, 90 meters of 92, 93 grams, I think it was. And um, that took a lot of people by surprise because it seemed to come out of nowhere, but of course it didn't because they've been working there for three years. Um, but it really focused a lot of people's attention on Newfoundland. And uh, because I've been working with Sean for the past uh, three years, I knew that he had ground in Newfoundland. I just didn't know where it was. So I called him up and said, hey, Sean, like that ground in Newfoundland, where is it? And he said, well, you're not going to believe this, Roger. It's, it's right next to that discovery of Newfound Gold. So I said, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> he said, you're the fourth company to to ask me that today and i'm like oh man okay so what's the plan and uh he, he eventually put it out sort of a, a uh, sealed bids um which we were fortunate to 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 win uh the the little bit of due diligence i managed to do um led me to believe that this was something that we really should uh be aggressive on um, and it, it mainly for me came down to the Appleton Fault where these occurrences that Newfound Gold had um, were strung out along it. And once I saw that and we had projected the Appleton Fault based on the air, airborne magnetics that we were able to find up onto the Kingsway property or what's now the Kingsway property, um, it became almost a no-brainer that if this fault is 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 really uh, a, a, a prospective fault for gold mineralization as it seems to be on Queensway, there's no reason why it wouldn't be the same a few kilometers north. So uh, so we went pretty hard and uh, optioned, the, optioned the licenses, two licenses from Sean at, uh, and that was at the PDAC. And then a few months later, I tracked down another geologist who had a license in between Sean's two licenses and we, we optioned that one as well. Um, so by the time we went out to start working there in August, um, we had the, the property, I think it's 77 square kilometers is what it is, but more, more importantly, we had about 12 kilometers of the Appleton Fault 
that was covered by the prop the property. So um, yeah, then it was just uh, you know doing doing the grassroots exploration that that Sean's famous for and and, and I believe in. Uh, we did a lot of soil sampling. Uh, we did a lot of ground geophysics and a lot of prospecting. So we we really hit it hard in that first four months. We even did a little bit of drilling, um, but I think it was the first the first time that Sean's rab drill had been used on in or in any rab drill for that matter had been used in Newfoundland. Um, and we did that on I think we did 28 holes in uh, in that first that first season. Um, not the, the results weren't great. Uh, in fact, I got in a lot of trouble for putting the results out and investors really questioned my judgment. Um, and uh, but we 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 it gave us something that we could test these anomalies with very quickly and very rapidly. Um, and so I think I think it was it was a good decision to use it. Maybe not a good decision to put the results out, but anyway, um, it's uh, so that that's all done. And the end of that first year of 2020 field season, we discovered um, visible gold in a boulder, um, a couple of boulders actually, and uh, and that's what became the big vein target, which we started drilling in March of last year. And it's still it's still growing now. So it was it was a very successful first four months, and the success has continued uh, over the last year. I love the story about how you named the big vein. <laughs> <laughs> you have to tell the story. Now it's 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 probably I, I take it away. <laughs> yeah, well, we had like you know, like I said, we had prospectors and we had uh, geologists out mapping and. Uh, the geologists had been making their way south on the property, and uh, the one the one day they were they were going out and they'd be mapping these these veins that were you know they weren't necessarily very big they were sort of anywhere from ten to thirty centimeters in uh, in width, but a lot of them, and uh, and then they they were walking down through the woods. And Mark, the uh, the lead geologist, was out in front of his, the two guys that were helping him, and he he called back and he says, "Hey guys, you got to come and see this big vein." And sure enough, there was a there was a vein um, that was uh, standing up. And any of your listeners that look at our, our presentation, you'll see the photo of big vein with the person sitting on top, and it's uh, so it stood up out, out of the out of the forest. Um, the forest floor, probably about maybe a meter tall, and it was about oh, it was at least two meters wide, and the outcrop was how wide? How long is it? Probably about five six meters long. So it was in terms of what they'd seen elsewhere. This was this was huge, and so uh, when Mark came back and and told us that. We said, well, we got to name it Big Vein because that's uh, <laughs> that's you, you named it right there, and uh, we uh, the that was in October, and we knew that we didn't have much time, probably only into November, to get the rest of the fields work done before the snow flew, and um, 
we just we just blasted that whole area with um, with prospecting. Came up with the the boulders uh, with visible gold a few weeks later, and um, yeah, that was uh, that was sort of a nice way to end the uh, end the field season. Very nice. I I want to talk a bit more about the rab because I think what you did was very bold and um, in having the first rab there, and, and I'm a believer in rab drills. Um, and when you're the first, sometimes being bold is not rewarded very well. <laughs> but I, I um, we worked with Sean up in the Yukon and I've known Sean and Kathy, uh, it seems like forever. And he had a rab drill, we tried it at a project. I loved it, and, but he was always so busy, we had to buy our own. But <laughs> what, what, tell me what you, what you liked about the rab rig, because I think it's, it's something that we'll see more of in Newfoundland. Yeah, I think, I think so. And, and you know, for me, the biggest, uh, the biggest advantages are its mobility. It's, it's lightweight, it's track mounted. Um, you don't need to cut the big drill pads that you need for diamond drills. Um, you can, it, can, it can maneuver quite nimbly through the, through the forest. Um, obviously, if you've got thick bush, you're gonna have to cut a trail for it, um, but you can do that. And, and the environmental impact is so much less than diamond rig. So all of those things are pluses. Um, we, we really do, um, try to minimize our impact as much as we can. And we're always telling the, 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 the diamond drillers that. And uh, we have, we have a, a geologist that's dedicated to looking after those rigs and making sure that they, they stay, they don't go crazy um, with cutting big drill pads or excavating things that they don't really need. So environmental impact is big for us. Um, and the RAB, the other thing that that's great about it is like we we had uh, we had tried, I think, in that first that first season to to push the rab to its limit. And when I talked to Sean about it afterwards, he said, well, you know what, it's you're probably pushing it a little bit too hard. Like if you can the, the rab can probably drill 60 meters a day into into the bedrock. And um, that's all you need to test your target. If, it, if, it, if you're looking at a soil, you know, a soil anomaly or something like that, you don't need to go down 200 meters. Um, and so we decided that's what we were gonna do um, last year. And we had, we had a lot better success. We would we'd do a whole a day. And so you can imagine when you got, you know, you got these targets and you're doing a whole day, then you can, you can cover them very efficiently. Um, so all of that, all of that is, is really good. Um, one of the arguments against the RAB has been, oh, well, you don't get drill core. You just get chips, which is true. You don't, you don't get drill core, but you do get chips and, and you, can, you can log the chips and you can see if the quartz and the chips is mineralized. Um, and we also use the portable XRF, so we can XRF the chip. Um, so we don't, we don't have a problem with that. But the other thing that, that Sean and or Ground Truth does is that they have a televiewer an optical televiewer that you can put down and it basically takes photos of the wall of the of the hole and then you can use that to get your structural information um now we we did have some problems with not getting good optical images um but that was that was probably mostly because of murky water um where we where we were 
And that can be that can be managed. I mean, you can use acoustic televiewers instead of optical, so so you don't have to worry then about about the clarity of the of the water or whatever whatever might be in the hole. So there are ways around that. But yeah, I think uh, you know I think the 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 RAV is a really is a really good tool for very efficient follow up of, of your initial anomalies with um, you know with with low environmental impact. So it's yeah. it's all beneficial. I agree. And I think it's, I think you're right. It's a great first step after you've done the initial groundwork and before you get into the diamond, very expensive diamond drilling. Uh, yeah. Kudos to you for, uh, for taking that step. And uh, I think you'll be rewarded for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think we have been ready to some extent, um, you know, some of the, some of the rab holes that we're following up have actually proven to be, to be pretty good. Um, the only the only target that we haven't used rab on is Big Bane, and that was that was really because we had an outcrop with visible gold that we could drill right under, so um, and go from there. So we didn't really need to target Big Bane the same the same way as we do our our, our other targets. Um, so you have a healthy treasury, uh, some discovery. Yeah. Some uh, a work plan, a very busy year. I know you're in uh, you're in Newfoundland right now. You actually are a resident, and uh, you're getting ready for a busy season. Yeah, we are. You know, and and this days like today, this is I, I've been out here now 10, 10 days, I think, and this is the first day that the sun has actually shone. <laughs> it's been snowing and raining, and it's been pretty miserable, to be honest. But um, when the sun starts shining like this, you think, okay, like this is going to dry things out, and if this carries on, we could be back to work pretty pretty soon, um, which we're all we're all looking forward to. It's sort of getting a bit of cabin fever, I guess, right now, and not not being able to get out in the woods, and because because the we we're very fortunate in that the Kingsway property is crisscrossed by logging roads and and forestry roads and so on, and and um, but this time of year they're just a complete mess. Um, you certainly can't drive a truck in there. You'd probably be challenged to drive a quad in there right now. Um, so it's what we're doing now is we're, we're doing more planning. We're relogging core um, and doing all the, the sort of studies and research that we just don't get time to do when we're, when we're full out drilling. Because we do, we do have, well, before, before we broke up here for, for the breakup, we have five drills drilling on the property. And, and so that brings a lot of core into the core shack every day. And um, we're continually expanding the core shack and the core yard and <laughs> everything is, so that, that's another thing that I've been doing out here is trying to figure out, figure out all that. So very busy. We're very, um, again, very fortunate that we have that treasury um, that we can, uh, you know, that we can plan so far ahead and plan all these fill holes. Um, you, you probably know that we've, we've got 100,000 meters planned. Um, I think we're about 38 or 39,000 meters through that. And uh, we'll probably get through the rest of it this year. And I think, um, yeah, I think we're going we're gonna to make some more discoveries along the Appleton Fault and elsewhere on the property. You know, the, your company is really emerging as one of the leaders in the, in the jurisdiction. And I, um, I'm, I'm very happy for you and your team. Um, working in Newfoundland, um, I, I love it. Uh, the people are wonderful. The government's progressive. 
Um, any any thoughts on on that? Oh yeah, I mean I can't say enough good about the government. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we've been here working in Newfoundland and Labrador for for four over four years now, and we've always had really good support from the government. Um, usually very timely um, timely communications. Um, we, we all know last year permitting took longer than we might have liked, but um, whenever, whenever, whenever we sort of wanted to get to get the status of our permits, um, we were answered very quickly, and and you know things things moved along as good as as well as they could, and um, yeah, I think you know the, the the government does seem to be very committed to the mining industry in Newfoundland. I think it's great. Um, I think the industry has a lot to offer. And, you know, we know, well, as, as I mentioned earlier, my, my background, my childhood was spent in two, in two mining countries um, where the, uh, the mineral wealth uh, contributed a lot to the, to, to the economy. And I suspect the same will be true in Newfoundland in the next 10 years or so when we get more mines into production. Obviously, Marathon Gold is, is out in front now with plans to to start mining in 2024, um, and I think I think maritime resources are, are going to be putting a small a small mine into production in the not too distant future. So, um, yeah, I think I think things are looking well. I I really take my hat off to the government to uh, in in the in the way that they support the the, the industry. Not a, and not only not only in, in words and, and, and getting, getting the staff to sort of um, communicate, but also in things like the, the junior exploration um, assistance program, where you can apply for grants and you know, do the work and they, they reimburse a certain amount of your ex expenditures, um, but also the incredible, uh, the, the incredible online data that they have, um, the geoscience, Geoscience Atlas, the Geoscience Online, it's, it's just, it's one of the best I've seen. Um, it really is. I mean, you can go on there and you can, you can get pretty much any information you need about, uh, you know, whatever projects have been going on in, in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, and it's, uh, it's really, that's really a, a, a treasure trove of information. And, um, you know, I think, I think that's what made, has made Sean so successful in, in Newfoundland and Labrador. He mines that. He mines that uh, that database for to come up with all the ideas that he does come up with, and he's and he's really good at it. So good for him, and good for the good for the government for having that kind of um, service available. Oh, oh definitely. Um, and and I I wish the jurisdiction uh, great success and wealth from the from the mining and exploration sector. I I, I do believe that the sector is has the potential to be a great local wealth generator and uh, jobs, contracts, taxation, everything. So um, I've really enjoyed our, our, our chat today, Roger. Um, I, yeah. I wish you a, a very successful season and uh, anxiously awaiting your results. You know, like I said, good treasury, great shareholders with Eric Sprott and Newfound Gold. Uh, as big positions and um, discoveries, fabulous team. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. Um, and thank you for everybody um, for joining us and stay tuned. Uh, we hope you continue to uh, 
meet some really interesting people and hear some great stories uh, from a fabulous jurisdiction as we have a modern day gold rush underway. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jan. It's been great. A lot of fun.